Hello everyone, I hope you're safe and I hope that you're really, really well. Thank you for joining me for today's episode, which is the second in a series of three interviews I'm conducting on the subject of conscious living. Now I'm well chuffed to have Mary Casey with me today. Mary is a neuro researcher. She's one of the co-founders of Brain Skills and she's also the author of the critically acclaimed book, The Neuroscience of Inclusion, which is just brilliant. Now, Mary, just like me, is a total neuro nerd. She's got a real motivation as well for helping other people understand the science and the complexities of the human brain. So I'm very, very pleased to have her with me today. I know she's really going to help us understand the subject of conscious living just that little bit more. So let's do this. Let's dive on in. Mary, thank you for joining me. It's amazing to have you here. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me for sure. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Do you know, I was saying to my friend the other day, I don't meet many people that are as like massively passionate about the human brain as I am. So when I met you, I was like, oh my God, I need to bring Mary onto my podcast. So it's brilliant. Um, Mary, before we get into sort of like conscious living and brain science and all the stuff that we both love, I just want to know a little bit about you and, and for the listeners, how you got to um, be involved in the, in the really great work that you do. Well, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a roundabout answer. It's not a straight trajectory from one day to the next. But, you know, I've always been interested in personal development for many years. And I think probably the thing that got me most interested was just when I started becoming aware that people were writing about the neuroscience of leadership and I'm involved, I'm a trainer, do diversity, inclusion, management team, all that stuff. And so that just caught my eye and I started reading about it and kind of at the same time, I was working with an organization called HeartMath and they're, they're a stress management uh, organization, and they deal with the connection between the brain and the heart. So I was already physiologically inclined, and so I just got interested in the neuroscience of leadership and began to realize that there was a very helpful connection in, in connecting neuroscience with inclusion skills, which is an area I'd been very involved in. So the colleague and I, we just began researching it and seeing was there a connection or not? Um, how would this all make sense or not? We spent over a year just planning and thinking. We went out and took a, a class, a certification with a gentleman at Harvard called Dr. Um, Srini Pillay, and he was certifying people as neurobusiness coaches. And that was a very in-depth process and from that we decided to play around and see what we could come up with in terms of training models and because what we were learning was very in-depth and very difficult to kind of just make into lay people's terms and that's what we spent about a year doing or more and we came up with some models we came up with some things and we just tested it we went to a conference we put in a proposal for the neuroscience of inclusion and the proposal reviewer phoned us and said, what? And we were like, mm -hmm. 
because this was like 2010. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. 11 years ago now. And he was like, what? We were like, yeah. He goes, okay, okay. We'll try it. So it was interesting because they had rooms, breakout rooms set up for 40 people. And the registration in our session was 110. Wow. And, and nobody really knew anything about what we were talking about then. So we had to keep it really basic. And there was just a tremendous interest. Mm. So we took it from there and created the company Brain Skills at Work. And we've sent, written books and, you know, just developed lots of models. We certify people in our materials. So mm. we've really taken it kind of to the next level. It's amazing. I mean, I've obviously had the, the privilege of seeing you at work, Mary, in, in delivering some of the fabulous training that you've developed. And it really is just incredible. Um, and I think you make a really good point now. I think we've come such a long way, haven't we? Ten years ago, people didn't want to talk about this sort of stuff. Um, no. But now it's like everyone wants to know about it, which is great because it's what we love to do, right? Right. (laughs) Um, So I guess before we get into sort of conscious living and all of that, I want to know, um, I I tried to articulate at the start of this podcast what conscious living meant. So I'd like to understand from your point of view, through your work and the research that you've done, how you would describe conscious living. Okay, so it's, to keep it simple for me conscious living is really first and foremost about being clear and having a strong intention about who i am and how i want to show up as my highest and best self and having that intention is you know an ongoing commitment Mm. because things interrupt it all the time our, our ability to be there but that's really what it's about because without that, for me, I don't know where, what I'm working on, what I'm doing, how my reactions matter or don't matter. I'm just not nearly as aware of what I'm doing and who, where I'm coming from as when I have that conscious daily intention to be operating as best as I can for my highest and best self. Mm. And you're right. It's life's work, isn't it? It's not just like one day you wake up and nail conscious living and that's it. You know, the the world, as we know, throws curveballs like this bloody global pandemic that we're all in at the moment. (laughs) Um, So it is. It's so taxing to everyone right now. I mean, the, you know, with you guys in the UK and those increasing numbers and, you know, and it's starting to come here now in terms of the, the new increase in, in, um, contagiousness so it's like you just have to keep digging deep down right I mean and and people are getting tired I know I am it's just like a slog you know so anyway but I I really know that that I can renew my energy and I can dig down a little deeper and so that is about conscious living, even when we're under ongoing stress. Yeah. To me. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think it's important more so now than it's, than it's ever been in, in the time that we're in. Um, so interestingly, you relate the brain and managing brain states to conscious living in, in your previous explanation. So can you just explain that a little bit more for me? Mm-hmm. One of the ways that we began to create simplified but practical ways to use the neuroscience was we came up with 
our basic model, which is called brain states management. And we have three brain states. There's the lower brain state, the middle brain state, and the higher brain state. And before I explain each one in more detail, it's really important to recognize that the brain is incredibly complex. And so by sort of creating these quote unquote categories, these are not static categories. The brain is incredibly complex. And so these are things representing primary associations of the brain in certain, in, in various characteristics that we can understand. Um, and so the lower brain really relates to that part of the brain that's tied most directly to the nervous system and to our automatic responses and physiological responses to responding to threats, you know, real or perceived threats in the environment. And so that part of the brain is just very important. It keeps us safe. And it's also our, our, the way that sometimes our reactions get in our way because that part of the brain can just really trigger a very strong reaction. And then the middle brain is the part of the brain that is most associated with our emotions and how our emotions impact our thoughts and our actions and our decisions during the day. And how aware are we of that? Because in the middle brain, part of the characteristics of that are that self-awareness fluctuates a lot. It's very inconsistent. It's, mm. it's very low in the lower brain. We have very little. In the middle brain, it's fluctuating. It can go from good to low. And a lot of our emotional reactions are tied up with that level of awareness or how it fluctuates. And then the higher brain is when is is that part of the brain that we know relates to our most you know advanced capabilities as humans you know our ability to be logical and reasonable and forecast and analyze and also this is the part of the brain where self-awareness is most accessible when we're operating from this part of the brain also known as the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. That's where self-awareness actually resides in the brain. And it's also unstable. Hmm. All, that brain state is highly unstable and it can go offline very easily. And with it goes our awareness and our ability to really operate with the big picture and with insight and, um, you know, the ability to make very conscious choices that are helpful, even though our, our kind of lower instincts might just tell us, well, I'm just going to e email this person and yell at them, hmm. you know, and that feels so right in the moment. <laughs> it has the kind of outcomes that aren't helpful. And the yeah. higher brain can keep us aware of, well, what outcomes are we really looking for here? And yeah, I might have this feeling or this, you know, just rush of energy to do something really dramatically unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all had those moments, Mary. Um, yeah. Now, I know through the, the work that you do, because obviously I've seen um, some of that work, um, which is incredible. Um, you talk about... Um, each of these brain states having huge impact on, on three main elements of, of self, if, if that's the right way to describe it. And you talk about 
um, how our perception is really impacted, how our self-awareness, which you mentioned there, is also impacted. But the other thing that is impacted is our choices. Mm -hmm. So can you explain how each of those brain states affect each of those three um, elements? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I've kind of alluded to some of that in my previous descriptions. But yes, the brain states, each one of them is made up of uh, interconnections between the brain's level of perception, the brain's level of self-awareness or ability, low to high, to be self-aware, and then how our choices are either very unconscious to very conscious. Mm. And so without looking at the chart, you can just imagine that the lower brain state has the lowest amount of perception. You know, perception tends to be closed there. We don't have access. It's not a metaphor. It's, it's a fact that perception in the brain varies. And when we're in that lower brain state, we only see one or two options. We tend mm -hmm. to think in black and white. We tend to think either or. And then our choices seem very limited as well. And our self-awareness isn't really available. So it's kind of a paradox. Yeah. The minute we need it the most, it's most unavailable. It's gone. <laughs> and then when you move into the middle brain, that's where perception can fluctuate between kind of going um, into the you know open to somewhat closed. And that's based a lot on that emotional kind of range that that is. And self-awareness does the same thing. It's inconsistent. It fluctuates. And so, so do our change of uh, range of choices. You know, we can be operating pretty good, you know, having, making good conscious choices, but it's not as solid and we're not as consistent in our ability to do it as we are in the higher brain. Right. And that's really a big distinction. The higher brain has, you know, uh, access to more open-minded perceptions, possibilities, creativity, um, the most ability to make conscious choices, even if we're creating a new behavior pattern and sometimes that feels uncomfortable, the higher brain is clear and can operate, manage that dissonance, or we can using higher brain. Um, but, the, but a major distinction between the higher brain and the middle brain is consistency of awareness. Okay. And that's really what the profile that we have helps people see because we fluctuate brain states all day long. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, it's not like you just get one and that's where you are. But at the same time, we all have tendencies to operate more often from one than the other. Yeah. So it's about even, understanding that then, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so from what you've described there, Mary, you know, being in this higher brain state, we have a really broadened view of perception. We have much higher levels of self-awareness and we're able to make much better choices. So wouldn't it be awesome if we could just be there all the time? But but we can't, can we? I mean, an example I'll give you uh, yesterday, my uh, the kids are off again, right? So we're having to homeschool and it's a nightmare and I'm trying to do a podcast. I got the kids in the background trying to do dinner. And I just lost it, Mary. I, and I, I'd like to think I'm a very conscious-minded person. I'd done my meditation. I'd had my green shake for breakfast. And then it, within seconds, I was off. I was lit up like a, yeah, like a, like a flag. And, um, and so what is that? What is happening there? 
Well, I think, you know, it's, it's related to brain states in that, you know, you, you just, you know, are normal. These are just normal things. And there's, there's two aspects to that kind of a reaction that I tend to think about. One is that we're just so low on energy overall that we don't have the capacity to just manage it in that moment. We're just so brain dead and, you know, we've used so much energy during the day and maybe we haven't had enough sleep or whatever. Or, but, and the other one is, is underlying beliefs. And yeah. that's the one that can get us every time. It's like, you know, they should be, or it can't, or I'm not, or, it, you know, it's always, and those kinds of things, you know, those expectations that can mm. be really unconscious and related mm. to those underlying beliefs can be investigated. That's good news. Yeah. And we learn to catch them. But I think it's really important to get, let ourselves off the hook. When we just have a bad reaction or a, a strong negative, just fly off the handle reaction. I mean, it just happens. Yeah. And it's really important to walk through it with people who are impacted, you know, Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's a learning opportunity for everybody. Of course. And like we said earlier, we're in challenging times, right? We got a lot going on. Um, but I think it's really helpful to, to kind of hear it from you that brain states aren't static, you know, that they're, they're constantly shifting. And it's okay, sometimes if we drop into a lower brain state, we can't always be up there in the in the higher dimension, like the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama can we? I mean, if We're only so human, you know, and we have to love that about ourselves and give ourselves space because, you know, we don't, I don't think about conscious living as, as learning to go in a straight line. It's a, it's a, you know, spiral. We go up and around and then we spiral back down and all of that is patterning for the brain as well. I mean, the brain can't jump immediately from this kind of awareness into these new behaviors you have to develop those new patterns and part of that is i and i like this thought that when we blow it right just mm. phew, gone yeah. not didn't do anything close to what we would have wanted to do that and then we recognize it afterwards and we look at it then that's a really powerful opportunity for repatterning yeah. Because we're choosing again to get the brain going in a different direction and just increases the likelihood we'll catch it a little bit better next time. And that's really the whole process of, for me, conscious living is that just catching, repatterning, and then, and then being able to see it before it happens sometimes. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. the great place is when you just know, you can just see it coming from 100 miles away and you're ready, you're spring-loaded, <laughs> and you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, Mary, is there any way of sort of understanding our brain states and recognizing uh, where we tend to spend most of our time? Because I think some people will be predisposed to spending perhaps more time in that middle brain or more, uh, you know, some people might be lucky enough to spend a lot of time in the higher brain and, and some people sadly might be in that lower brain. So is there a sort of, I don't know, a barometer? We have a profile called the brain states self-awareness profile so what it does is you answer some questions and then you get a score 
of what your tendencies are in terms of your brain state. And it's not related to your overall organic self. It's really related to your current circumstances, what your tendencies are right now or in the you know past few months kind of a thing. So it's, it's very much about you know thinking and realizing that certain kinds of things are more prominent right now in terms of your behaviors and that's fair and um and then we give in the report we give a a, a graph of seven parts of neuroscience seven key dimensions of neuroscience that contribute to your score and you can see them on a graph and then we give tips and tools for increasing your capacity in each one of those seven dimensions, which is then what gives you a greater ability to recognize and shift to the higher brain. So that's how that profile works. And that's in fact, exactly what it's designed to do. What, you, what you've asked, mm. how do we know? What can we do yeah. to get a better sense? I love that. I love that. The brain state self-awareness profile. Brilliant. Love it. So aside from the brain state self-awareness profile, um, have, we got, have you got any sort of quick fixes for people? Now, I'm not a believer in quick fixes. I know that they don't exist. But if, if you were to sort of say to people, this is how you can start out um, in terms of knowing how to access that higher brain, what's your, what's your top tips? Yeah. Well, the top tips would come in two categories. And the first one is is how do we recognize where we are and how do we develop a habit of doing that? And that's really about building that awareness. And so it's very easy when we're operating in the middle brain state in particular, um, and for sure in the lower brain state, to not be very conscious of our actions. You know, we're just, we're operating. We've perhaps got anxiety and fear online. Um, you know, operating to in that emotional area and we're perhaps easily uh, affected by events and thrown off a little bit. And we're not very conscious of all of that happening. We're just kind of in, you know, a habitual kind of, oh, da, 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 and it feels normal. And we're not trained to think about, wait a minute, where am I coming from? What does my behavior look like? And how does this relate to who I want to be in my best and highest self? And it's then that gap. Well, first, it's this ability to learn to recognize. And so we have some key tools around that. And, you know, and they're real basic. The first one is, is to become aware of your physiology. Because that's the, the best way to get cued up about where you are. Because you don't have to think about anything. And your body doesn't lie. It just does not lie. It's going to tell you the truth every time. Yeah. And so learning to check in with it and identifying what are your own personal cues that, tend, that tell you that you're not in a relaxed state and therefore your thinking and feeling is not you know, coherent and and your awareness isn't very high. So people learn to, we spend time thinking about what are those cues for you physiologically? And then we go through what are they in when you're, what are those cues physiologically in the lower brain state for you? What are those cues physiologically for in the middle brain state for you? And then what are they in the higher brain state? And training ourselves to recognize 
cues, physiological cues, as indicators of our brain states. Mm. And that's, a, that's a primary thing that we do in, in, as a tool and a skill development process. Mm. I really love that, Mary. I love the, the link between the, the, the mind, the brain, and the body there. I think it's super important. And, and it's almost like we could create from that anchors, anchors of self-awareness, yeah. couldn't we, in each of those brain states, which I think would be super um, right. powerful. Yeah, and that's a very creative thought, you know, to to take it even another level. Mm. How can we work with this kind of an approach even more, you know, interestingly and successfully and and creatively? Yeah, because, mm. you know, there's a lot of data there. Yeah. And we just don't pay attention to it. No, we don't, do we? Um I mentioned quick fixes earlier um, and I really want to touch on this subject because it's something that I have lots of debates about with people and lots of discussions. So I think it's fair to say we live in a world, don't we, where people uh, want that quick fix. They would often rather rely on mechanistic medicines like antidepressants to dull down um, some of their, their feelings and and even to the point where they rely on uh, some recreational drugs like MDMA to feel like they're opening up that higher brain to get that accelerated um, route into it rather than doing, doing the work. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that, Mary. I think that uh, recreational drugs are, have a place in our world because they do give us a new conscious experience. It's a new level of consciousness. We, you know, with particularly psychedelics or MDA, you know, where you have this feeling of bliss and you begin to realize that reality is not just this three-dimensional thing and your role in it is, is, you know, not that is not disconnected from anything around you and all that stuff. And I think that's, that has value. I don't think about it in terms of a way to develop conscious living Hmm. because when you come down or off the drug, do you have the tools to bring yourself back there without assistance? And to me, it's good to know it exists, Hmm. you know, and I think it can be a motivator for people to learn more about how, because the capacity is there and we've experienced it or you have experienced it or whatever. Okay, so how can I now integrate that into who I want to be as a conscious person? Yeah. You know, I don't think drugs will change us at our core, conscious, at our conscious core. Mm Mm-hmm. But lots of people, I think, are of the belief that if they take the pill, the MDMA, the ecstasy, whatever it is, it will, it will literally be that fast route to consciousness. Um, but do you think it is the same type of consciousness is, as the consciousness if you did the meditation, you did the mindfulness, you were self-aware, you had the broadened perspective? Do you think it's the same? No, I don't. I think it's an experience of, mm. of the power and you know extreme infinity related aspects of consciousness itself i think it's an experience of that and i think that's interesting and can be very valuable but that experience is over when the drug leaves your system yeah and the question then becomes what can i do well you know like okay so back in the 60s 
you know, Timothy Leary and um, I forget what his name was, but Ram Das. They were Harvard psychologists who started experimenting with LSD, right? Yeah. And one of them, who I can't remember his actual name, but he now goes by Ram Das. I think he might have just passed away. But anyway, they were experiencing you know, they were experimenting with LSD in this lab and they were having these incredible experiences. Mm. And the one that became Ram Das was like, this is so amazing and I can't do anything about it unless I'm on that drug. So I'm going to go and talk to all these gurus and people. And he lived in India for 30 years and and, and was able to attain or achieve or access, however you do it, hmm. a state of being which he felt replicated and or was in association with somehow the states that he had experienced in LSD. And I think that's just an interesting story. Oh, it is. Yeah. And you hear a lot of stories like that, don't you? A lot of stories. Yeah. I think the point is we have the tools within us, right? Right. To, to access consciousness we have it all within us we don't yeah. have to rely on the external factors to to provide us with the tools we've we've got it all right. um, but it's about understanding that right and it's about right. being aware of that right and it's about too for me and this comes back to my definition of living consciously is who do i want to be mm. and and how do i want to be and who am I at my highest and best self? And if I'm clear about that, then I can know whether or not whatever I'm doing, whether it's drugs or whatever, is helping me do that on a daily, achieve that um, purpose on a daily basis. That, that yeah. for me is and so of course people need to really spend time defining what that is for them and we do that in our training mm. because unless you know really know that where is your real motivation and to to even if you have the awareness of where you are what's the motivation to want to know what that means you know yeah. it's like you know in relation to what mm. and and that to me, when I am at my highest and best self and I feel integrated with that idea or purpose or whatever, it doesn't last forever, but it's truly a feeling of, of just amazing well-being and mm. open-mindedness and willingness to listen and to, you know, my ego kind of just falls to the side and I'm much more conscious yeah. Of what's going on in the in the whole and not just like in my little yeah. mirror, you know. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I for sure have moments where I feel in that I call it flow state, which is like mm -hmm. my articulation yeah. of consciousness. But you just feel, I don't know about you, but also so very grateful, yes. so very contented with what you have, which is just I think a feeling that's often overlooked. I think we're taught that we should pursue happiness and joy but actually what i've learned particularly through this pandemic is it's about contentment mm -hmm. it's about just that level of peace in your soul mm -hmm. and i think that is what conscious living is that's very very nice i really like that a lot because yeah because we're so 
it's just our soul is more on online yeah <laughs> when we're in that state you know it's just it's great yeah uh, my final question Mary and I think I kind of know the answer to this I wanted to ask you you know is it possible to live continuously is it realistic to expect to be uh, living consciously all of the time now from what you've said I don't think it is and I also think it's important that we experience those lower brain states as well to appreciate the highs. But listen, you're the expert. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm not an expert on that. I don't know. I mean, if you ask me, can I do it? The answer is no. <laughs> do I increase the percentage, the percentages of time that I can do it? Yes. By working you know, and using whatever tools, brain states or whatever other tools, meditation, self-awareness, whatever. Yeah, I can increase my the percentages of time that I can and the skill with which I can access that state. But, but my experience is that, you know, I think some people maybe be able to. I can't. And, and I don't expect to because it's too frustrating and and it just makes it just doesn't help to think i'm failing yeah 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 Again, you know, this is perhaps another story that we're starting to tell ourselves you know conscious living is the answer let's do it all the time and it isn't it's unrealistic well and conscious living is being conscious of the living mm. process so if you just have a bad moment and you're conscious within that especially right afterwards that's conscious living of course you know you know and you're talking to your kids about what happened and how you know this is a part of life and we sometimes just our brains just kind of squirrel out on us and i'm really sorry and that's not who i am and i'm really working on not having that reaction as much you know and or whatever you say it's you know irrelevant but it's that repatterning uh, expectations and the process of normalcy that is very conscious mm. you know? and I was very aware of that raising my daughter that you know I, I invested a lot of time in making explicit where I was coming from and what had happened mm. and I considered that to be part of conscious living because I had to show up and be accountable in a way that made sense for her so for me from what you've just said there i don't think it would be realistic to expect to live there forever because you know sometimes we've got to experience those lows to appreciate the highs right yeah it's all about learning mm. you know and being honest with ourselves we can't know ourselves if we're saying Oh, I'm in the higher brain all the time. You know, and we hear about these gurus, you know, Bikram was the latest where, you know, he's got this whole philosophy and this whole yoga thing. And then he's like outrageously out of consciousness in his relationship with some of his female students. So just yeah, massively. I've seen yeah. the documentary on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, so, so it isn't just what we say we are. It also is how we are able to know if we're showing the world what we truly want to make real inside of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And, you know, 
if we did what what sort of changes would sorry excuse me what sort of changes would people start to see uh when they when they move into that higher brain state well i can just talk for myself and say that i i shared that i you know had a drug and alcohol problem and the reason part of the reason for that is that i just i didn't have good training as a child i just didn't from you know that's a whole other story but so i came into early adulthood very ill-equipped to try to really function in any kind of helpful way and that just really down spiraled quickly and deeply and got into a lot of trouble so then when i did sober up i had to learn how to be mm. an, uh, you know, I, I, I just had emotions that were just all over the scale. And I was just, I just reacted to things so inappropriately. And so I had to start at like, really the base of the ladder and work my way up. Like, what, who am I? And what is going on here? And what are my choices? Mm. And for a long time, I could see them, but I couldn't necessarily act on them. Mm. I just was too, uh, I had too much habitual, emotional baggage that was just constantly in my way. So I had to unpack a lot of that actually. And in the process, what I began to do was to pay attention to the impact my behavior was having. And then if I needed help to stay in more conscious awareness, then I used the tools that I had in my recovery program, which were to ask for help from a higher power, phone a friend, write in a journal, all those things. And um, through that, I came to a place where I now know when I'm in my best self and when I'm not. And I can recognize it pretty quickly. Because of my, I just don't react the way that I used to. And so what I know is that if I get a certain tight gut in my feelings, you know, this is what you were talking about on another podcast, you know, learning to read our emotions and read our, our inner sense of what's going on through intuition and just knowing ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I can sense if I'm not in a place where I'm going to say something that's helpful. So I just shut my mouth. I never knew how to do that before, wow. you know? Um, and, uh, and with my husband, I think that's where it shows up for me the most is that I have always loved him, but I haven't always been able to act like I love him most of the time, the mm. greatest amount of time. Mm. And I can now, because I see so many times right before my mouth opens that that's not going to be the most loving thing I can do here. Mm. <laughs> you know, and so, and that's my high, that's one of my highest and best self. Um, sort of purposes is I believe that love is the only thing that's real. That's, wow. that's just me. Yeah, and that really powerful. I like that. And everything else is, is, is just make believe. Mm. Mary, what you've kind of beautifully articulated there is I'm, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this higher brain as, as almost a journey now. And it's almost like a light bulb moment I've had. I think a lot of people come to me and they go, Lisa, listen, I can't access this higher brain. It's too hard. You know, I don't even know how to start, but I think you've just almost articulated an amazing um, journey in the sense of it's almost like self-awareness is the start of it. 
once you've got self-awareness and an understanding of who you are, that then leads to, you know, in your words, a conscious awareness, hopefully, if you stick with that journey. And then eventually you keep on going. You're going to get to that higher brain. But it's a journey. And maybe it's the experiences that we go through in our life that, I don't know, transcend us into these different parts of the journey. But it's, you know, what I'm realizing now is it's not something that can be accessed without experiences and acceptance of whichever stage of that journey we are if that makes sense yeah it does i think that's really a a really beautiful you know uh, encapsulation of things and i have not until now really put the word journey on that higher brain but it's a beautiful connection Mm. you know to help people understand yeah we're not talking about a state that's static Mm. we're talking about using the brain in ways that help us grow and increase our ability to have self-awareness and to use that awareness in conscious and loving ways. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and listening to your uh, incredible nuggets of wisdom and slices of life. Um, I'm sure the listeners will have got a lot from this. I know I certainly have. Um, One final question. Do you think the Dalai Lama is able to live consciously all the time? (laughs) (laughs) you know i saw him one time actually he was he was i was on this committee and so we were sat really close and there's a very large tibetan community in minneapolis where i was living in so anyway it was a big deal and um so we're sitting there and somebody asked him the question they were like um if all there is is the present moment then what is the future for? I mean, what he says, Oh, it's just for making appointments. <laughs> it just, I thought now that's coming from an incredible, and it wasn't like he was trying to be cute or anything. I mean, that's just where he is. It's yeah. like, Oh, well, yeah, yeah. The future's for making some appointments, but you know, <laughs> it just made me laugh. No, waiting for some big profound answer, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's just for making appointments. Simple. so that's a guy that's very highly present you know so i don't know i hope because that gives me a good feeling to yeah i bet he has his off days mary i bet he has his off days like we all do (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) my red shoes i want my red shoes listen mary i don't want to take any more of your time it's been a pleasure as always um is there anything else you want to sort of say or any advice that you want to give to people no i think i think you're a great model and you know you pay attention you're light-hearted you notice people's needs and you check in and this is all just from knowing you in you know the past few months and so i would just like to say thank you it's a pleasure to work with you oh what an absolutely great chat i really enjoyed that chat with mary what a super human being she is i hope you got something from that i hope you found some pearls of wisdom in all that mary shared we'll be back real soon with the third in a series of conscious living episodes. Take care everyone.